I want to welcome you this morning. I can get everybody's attention. I know it's exciting. I know you didn't get any gifts, but I'm about to give you a gift from the Word of God. Amen? Mm-hmm. It's not wrapped up in a bow, but it's wrapped up in God's love. Uh, my name is uh, Mona Stevens. I'm the lead pastor here of Living Hope. We want to thank you for coming, for those that are in-house, and for those that are online, welcome, and thank you for joining us this morning. Um, I have actually a word that has been, uh, you know, just stirring in my heart for many, many, many months, and I never really recognized that it was really my journey since my uh, coming back from my sabbatical. Um, and so I, I do want to share my heart. It's called Step Out. I've heard over and over and over again, my Lord asked me, step out. And I, he wasn't asking me to step out because everything was very clear. He was asking me to step out because he was clear. And, and he was faithful and that he was able to bring me to where I needed to go. So this morning is really, I just want to share what I have learned in the last several, uh, in the last two years, actually almost two years now since my sabbatical has gone by fast. And um, I remember sitting at, uh, standing at this pulpit and I remember telling you guys that I was leaving for a bit and taking uh, just a break into seeking God and to really realize uh, that God has something to speak to me. Boy, did he ever. And really what you're going to hear today is really my heart's journey and then a challenge to you who are in the church and for those that are listening. I believe it's being heard everywhere. Everything that I listen to, either it be David Jeremiah, uh, Michael Youssef, uh, to uh, Frank Turek, to Eric Metaxas, to uh, Dr. Lutzer, everybody right now is speaking about and calling the leaders of the church to wake up and to step out, to speak. He's calling the people of God to come back. And for you that do not know and don't have a personal relationship with God, you need to hear this as well, because I believe that God is going to call you out in faith, and he's going to come and get you at your dark moments, as it was dark for me when I did not know God. I knew of him. And when he pulled me out of darkness, I was set on the path. And looking back 35 years, I would have never known that this is where I would have been. But the fact is, is that God is pursuing you guys. Some of you here do not know the Lord as Savior. And one day, it will be soon, God will call you home. For those that are here, this message will be a little bit on the heavy side. But trust me when I tell you I am coming with a heart of grace and love. And I'm coming to share with you first what God has done in me. Amen? I want you to open your Bibles to Matthew 14, verses 22 and 29. It was amazing when I was waiting, we were praying in the back. I was saying, whoa, welcome back. I, was, I, I felt like I haven't been here for over a month and a half, and it's true. I've been gone from this pulpit for a month and a half, so I am delighted to be here. I know that it is a privilege, and I'm honored that God has called me to this pulpit. So let's open our Bibles to Matthew 14, 22, 29, verses 22, which, which it says here. And we're going to focus on 28, 29 today, but we'll, let's read it first before they put it up. It says, Immediate Jesus, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there 
alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. And he, they said, it's a ghost. They cried out in fear. They cried out and said, what can, who is this? But Jesus, in verse 27 says, he says, Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. Then Peter got out, down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and, and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, I love the word immediately because it's immediate. It's just done quickly. Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And he says to him, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So the verse here is this whole thing when, and when Peter said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come on the water. Tell me to come. And Jesus says, come. And Peter actually gets out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. It's about two years since my sabbatical, and I had come to the same conclusion as what I heard when I started studying this passage, that anybody can sit in the boat and watch. But it takes a person of real faith to leave the boat and walk on water. This journey of stepping out of the boat started when I started exposing, when God started exposing why I was silent to some of the areas in my own life where I was faced with great darkness and evil. I was facing during this pandemic, during, during it, before, during it, and after. I was facing this evil and this blatant sin and deception. And sometimes I was navigating these things not necessarily the way God wanted me to. And beloved, but I have to tell you that there's not one time that I felt that God was punishing me in those moments. I felt that he was trying to speak to me about something so real. And I realized that he was showing me. God was going after the lies that I believed and the beliefs that I, that I the beliefs that I wasn't living out. He went after all of it, everything that caused me to be quiet when I should have stood, everything that caused me to be silent when I should have spoke. For those who know me, you would have seen many changes to how I approached my role as a leader in the last two years. You, have, you would have seen me approach life and my family and my friends differently how I approached the opportunities that God had given me to speak of his truth and his love to people who did not know him. You would have remembered me saying, and I have not said it not just once, but many times, that God from the very beginning said, you will not go back to what you were or to what you were. 
I never really understood because my God knows his daughter well. And so what I did is I did what I know best is I started looking at the temporal things about what God was asking me to stop and to shift. I was, I was asked to obey. I was asked to move and to step out in realities that I didn't even know how God was going to navigate me out of this. He was asking me to lead in ways that I never led before. And I understood through my sabbatical, my restored view of God caused me to see where I stood with God. Since then, I have made many changes in a way that I deal with conflict. The way that I counsel, the way I preach, the way I approach worship, prayer, Everything in my life has gone through this grid as God was asking me to step out and to change the things that were causing me not to walk in authority and power in some areas in my life. I'm just being totally honest with you today. God was removing any fears that had kept me shaken and unsettled in the last two and a half years which kept me quiet and silent, as I said, in the face of great evil and deception. I learned that fear and faith cannot live in the same heart. For fear always blinds us to the presence of God, beloved. And when I started crying out to God as the journey progressed, I started realizing there were scriptures that I was running to that God helped me stay focused, like Psalm 16, 8, where it says, I will keep my eyes always before the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Psalm 32, 8, when I did not know how to navigate and how to go forward and how to bring you guys forward to get you ready, because there was only two things that God had mentioned to me way before the sabbatical, way before uh, the pandemic. He asked me to sound the trumpet and to get his people ready. Today, I am sounding the trumpet. But first, that trumpet needed to be sound in my life. So Rome, uh, uh, the promise that I held on was uh, Psalm 32, 8, whereas I will, God telling me, I will instruct you, Mona, trust me. I will teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. I believed such a promise. I believe that God was going to show me exactly, despite that I felt that I didn't have what I needed to go forward in this evil day. Then four months after my sabbatical, I had came, I'd come back. I read a book called Kingdom Disciples by David Jeremiah. And I knew at that point that it wasn't just about changing the way I brought the message or the ministry decisions. Now God wanted me to go after what his people believed in. I was faced with belief systems to step out, a, a belief system that if not challenged would keep God's people silent and unable to step out of the boat when they were asked to step out of the boat. I believe that God had asked me to confront and do all that I needed to do when I saw the people of God hold on to truths that did not line up to the word of God. You understand when you walk that path, you're not too friendly. You're not, too, not a person that people like. 
But I understood that Jesus did it, and he was asking me to do it because, you see, he had given me a mandate. Get my people ready. How can my people get ready unless they are restored in their view of God, in their view of themselves, in the view of their circumstances? If they are distorted in those three, they will not be ready for the things to come. And when I ask them to step out, they will never step out of the boat. They will be like the other 11 disciples watching and staying in the safety of the boat since last September I have not been silent I have taught I have encouraged I have corrected I have rebuked and I've done everything that God has asked me to do I've actively pursued God to show me how to help his children be in a place of readiness. I could never really understand, God, what's the heart behind it until I started reading and preparing for Colossians, which we want to bring at the beginning of next year. I've been studying Colossians for months, and let me tell you, it made me realize that exactly where I am is what, what Paul was going through. And he says in Colossians 1, 27, 29, let me show you. He says, to them God has chosen to make known the glorious riches to this mystery, which is Christ in me, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. You see, when we do the correcting, beloved, when we do the rebuking, when we shift you from one place to another and we bring you truth, this is exactly why we do it. We want you to be presented fully mature and ready. So he says this, he says, to this end I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. He strives to bring his people, the people of God, to that place to be fully mature in Christ. We are living in a time of fierce storms. But the biggest storm we are facing is the moral issues that this generation are plagued with. You, we don't have to go far to see that we're in tremendous trouble. These controversial issues that we as Christians cannot be silent about anymore. We know that we, we don't need more discernment. It's there. It's right before us. You know, we, we went through a global pandemic, which was widespread, but also permitted widespread deception to come in. To, it, to bring blatant immorality and unchecked lawlessness and this indoctrination of our children in the schools. We have, not, we have not been compelled, beloved, that despite that we see the amount of darkness and evil that we are faced, most of us will take the course of hiding. Most of us will stay in the boat thinking that we'll be safe and we'll just wait until the storm gets passed by. Beloved, in the boat you have no power. In the boat you have no experience there. And if we want to experience the power and the empowerment of Christ, we have to step out and start speaking on these things. 
Have we been compelled to go deeper with God? Well, you know what? Many of you have. It has been glorious to see so many of you get off your perch, get off the bleachers and come into play. It has been glorious to see God's people awaken and obey the things that God has been saying over and over again. It has been glorious and wonderful to see how God's power has changed relationships, marriages, and individuals in this church alone it has been amazing we have to grow in our knowledge and understanding of the Lord this storm if we let it will teach us how to trust Jesus you see so many of us this storm just causes us to hide but Dr. Lutzer said in a book says there's no reason to hide God has been faithful. He has been faithful from generation to generation. Beloved, we have to actually restore our view of God. No more are we to actually believe the accusations of the the Lord that we would be left alone dealing with this darkness. God is never going to leave the righteous. He will never forsake us. He will never abandon us. But we have to live out like we believe this. And if we do, then we will speak. We will speak We cannot hide, nor can we stay silent anymore. For me, this storm happened to be a blessing. It happened to be a blessing. It shook everything that was not of God. It helped me to stand and to think biblically as I faced the deception and evil in our society. And just like Peter, stepping out of the boat caused me to see Jesus for who he was. He is everything and above all things. The call to step up has already begun for God's people, but we will need to start thinking biblically on how to deal with these issues. That is why we are bringing up last Thursday of the Better Together groups, we got questions. We want to equip you to how to deal with these issues lovingly and graciously. We don't have to be a theologian, but... Beloved, we do need to know the word. We do need to know the word. We will need to hear what God is saying, and we need to be ready quickly to what he is revealing, to obey what he's revealing. The most stabilizing thing we can do is know the word of God and do what it says. We need to be able to discern and understand the times through a biblical lens. Oh, we've used a lot of lenses, beloved. I just finished a book called Big Trouble Ahead and talked about how do we, he wanted to bring a plan to help God's people flourish in the face of evil and great deception. He was saying this, a common response uh, to facing this, this storm of deception and evil is either we stay quiet or silent or we negotiate. When confronted with society's worldview on the same-sex marriage, transgender ideology, abortion, we sometimes, for the sake of convenience, stay silent. We are told in the Word that we are supposed to love other people, to live self-sacrificing lives, and to speak the truth in love. But somehow we are persuaded that it's best to stay quiet and wait and see if we can reach them later for God. Trust me, that was my thought. I'm just going to smooth it out. I'll wait. 
But if God was actually bringing this up at that particular time, God was asking me, step out. I need you lovingly and graciously tell them this is not God's plan for you. Or we try to negotiate. We say, let's not argue about that and what's true, what's false, what's right, what's wrong. Let's try to hang on until we get past this. We hide and compromise in order to keep the peace. The the only problem with that belief is that it's not coming from the word. The message of the Bible is that you can't negotiate with evil. How many of us have settled with evil things in our home? with our children and think that you can settle with evil and evil will not bring consequences when we make choices that don't line up to the word of God. We understand that God is asking us now, being his children, he gives us the truth, the power to be bold when stepping out and to deal with these issues with grace, with wisdom and discernment. If God says it, therefore it is. Eric Metaxas has just written a a book that just came out on September 20th. It's called Letters to the American Church. And he explains this story of the silence that he's seeing in pastors today and the issues regarding what we face in this society. And he brings in a story of um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I don't know if you've known him. He was a German Lutheran pastor uh, who stood against the Nazi regime in the 1930s. You're going, ah, oh, that's so far. But what he saw was a reflection of what we're doing, the church today and the leaders today, that we're not actually speaking. We're not actually speaking truth over these issues. Our people are silent because they are confused as well. Some of us, you know, 42% of Christians are okay with assisted suicide. We don't know where we stand. Our lives became blurry because we have actually consumed the messages of the worldview of our world today. And the church of God has been, and the church on a whole, has been silent. So he tells the story of this young man that stepped out in a time of great turmoil. He was not silent. He did not keep quiet. And at the time when, when so many believed that the government was right, and without realizing, they walked in deception behind an agenda that killed millions of people. He shared that there was 18,000 pastors in Germany at that particular moment, and 3,000, along with Bonhoeffer, stood against the Nazi regime. They were speaking up boldly for what they knew was wrong and evil. They were courageous and they were, they were bold. They were brave. They knew it was wrong and so therefore they stepped in. They did not stay quiet. And then there was another 3,000 who were pro-Nazis. They believe it was an answered prayer. Now you got to understand they were coming back from World War I and there was a great depression and people were despondent. They were looking for someone to bring healing to their land. And Hitler looked like he had it all. But the fact is, his agenda was evil. And so these 3,000 were with him. And then he speaks of the 12,000 who remained silent. 12,000 pastors who would not commit to speaking up. 
They kept silent for fear of losing their job. They kept silent for fear of being rejected or losing their finances. It was all about their immediate comfort and convenience. They figured if they kept their mouth shut and let others do it, they would get through the mess. They knew what was right, but lacked the faith to speak up. We know history tells us that Germany was destroyed and millions of people died and suffered. Bonhoeffer was tried and convicted and hung three days before this regime collapsed. There was a quote that I heard in one of the podcasts that I want to bring today. Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. God will not hold us guiltless. God is not interested in what we say we believe. He is interested in whether we actually believe it. How we live our lives, what we are willing to risk, shows what we really and truly believe. James 2, 14, 17, 22 gives us the illustration, biblically, why is it important that our faith is, is brought up with action. He says here, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Then he gives an awesome illustration of Abraham's faith. He says, you see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. It's time for the church to begin to live out their faith by being bold and speaking the truth when it's uncomfortable. When is it or has it ever been comfortable to speak the truth in love? I, I, don't, remember, I don't remember any time. But if I love you and if I fear the Lord, my job is to actually talk to you about truth. Eric Metaxas said, if we don't do what we are already, what we already been told, we're already judged. And the judgment is the, the, the presence of God departing, beloved. We will play church. And you know how much I don't like playing church. If your faith is not lived out in your life, then it's proof to God, to the devil, and to your friends. You don't really believe what you claim to believe. So if you say you have faith and God has told you to do what you need to do to respond to your husband betterly and you don't, you are actually playing a game and people are seeing it. When you use the word faith and you don't live it, you are playing a game with God, as I said. What I have witnessed is that many of God's people believe intellectually. They'll say, oh, I'm going to put on my belt of truth today, and I'm going to put my, my helmet of salvation. But truth doesn't go with you. We can proclaim truth, but we have to live it, beloved. And so here, what he says is that many people of God's people believe intellectually, but that belief doesn't 
affect their life. If what I'm reading, what I'm understanding, what I'm being taught doesn't affect my life, then I'm only seeing it and knowing it intellectually. No? Yes? All right. Because truth sets us free. In this scripture, Matthew, we are told that they could not understand this miracle of walking in the water, on the water because the hearts were hardened. They had stubborn hearts, beloved. This does not call us right home today. I'm talking to myself. You see, who you are and how you live shows what you believe. No way are you going to tell me you believe in one thing and you respond some, some other way. I also believe that he has allowed us to be shaken in order to sift us and purify us. I believe that he is asking each of us, what are your priorities? Are you willing to do whatever it takes to follow me? Are you prepared to make personal sacrifice and invest yourself here, here in this congregation, in this community? Are you prepared to do whatever is necessary to make it possible for more people to hear the good news of Jesus? He is also sifting all the faulty views we have of God and his ways. I don't know about you, but I've been put against the wall over and over and over again. He doesn't let me justify why I do what I do. There is no clause for me because I have a title. As a matter of fact, the fear of the Lord is upon me much more because I have to come and do this with you. The gospel I see in many churches today has left behind the God of the Bible as its sole authority. And it's reshaped itself to accommodate personal preferences, and that includes accommodating, accommodating blatant sin. The biggest storm is the message of our society that has infiltrated our church, our churches. Many of us have heard of the word called secular, secularism. It's a big word. As you can see, I never use it. Uh, it is a big word, but let me, let me just bring it down. It really just means a rejection of absolute truth. It means, actually, a worldview. It's a principle of belief that people live by. They make their decision by it, like all of us. You know, we're supposed to be making decisions according to a biblical worldview, where it defines how we do life, how we make choices. But we know, you and I, that we're still in the progress of getting that, eh? Because some of us are, are babies in the Lord today. Some of us are five years in the Lord. Others are 34 years in the Lord and counting. But we should actually be getting very good at actually lining our lives up to the word of God as our authority. I think that's where the stubbornness comes into play, the hard hearts. And we don't think that there's no consequences to that. There's tremendous consequences. So he's sifting and he's purifying. But what's happening is that message has infiltrated even us as the church. Many of us have heard that, that word, but what it means that, that our worldview, our sets of belief and principle that people believe and live by, all right? And this is the heart behind it. Self is the authority of life. That's what they believe. This is what they believe. Four tenets. They believe feelings are the ultimate guide. Happiness is the ultimate goal. Judging is the ultimate sin. And God is the ultimate <clears throat> guest. Beloved, today, this worldview, 
I tend to see it a lot in people. The people I serve. The people I love. I often wonder what will be said about the church in this generation. Pastor Alan Jackson says this, we have stood by as prayer and the Ten Commandments have been removed from public places. We have failed to intervene while millions of babies have been killed through abortion. We were largely silent while pornography and violence became mainstream entertainment. We looked away while gender became a choice and the family was redefined. We accepted the government's declaration that church was not essential. We've allowed our worship to be dictated by comfort and convenience. Now we we see God shaking the things around us. What will be our response and what will we do? Will we step out and live in faith? Oh, I'll take another one. It's okay. It's nice and cold. Pastor Jackson remains and he says this. At this particular moment, we need to realize that many of us, our worldview is not biblical. It is actually what I've just mentioned how the world does life, how many people make decisions according to what they feel, not according to what the word says. I just feel that this is the right thing to do. Mm. All right. I've gotten a lot of intense fellowship with those things. Um, <laughs> happiness is the ultimate goal. It's about convenience and not being, not being uncomfortable. And we make choices according to that, don't we? Then judging is the ultimate sin. You see, that's why we have such a fight on our hands because they don't think there's any absolute truth. But the funny thing about it is that they do have absolute truths. They believe what they want to believe. And so when we come against it, what usually happens? They call you a hater. They call you intolerant. And what I usually say is, oh, no, no, I'm neither one of those two. What I am is actually I don't have to agree what with what you believe, and you don't have to agree with what I believe. What I understand is that I'm going to stay on this word to help me find my way, to help me decide how I'm going to make my decision. But, beloved, many of us today as God's people, this is not the final authority in our lives. That has to change. I think this is what God has been calling us to do since last year, if not even way before then. So Pastor Jackson says, rather than being filled with panic and dread, we should allow our righteousness to shine. We should consider the source of our hope and joy. Have you considered your source lately? He is actually a bottomless well. He cannot stop doing what he says he's going to do. We should allow the Holy Spirit to give us a godly wisdom that we can share with others. We should share the hope found in the shed blood of Jesus Christ and his righteousness. It is that simple. It seems like a tall order, but it's actually rather, rather not difficult if we are standing under the word of God. It is simply living to honor the Lord one day, one decision, one conversation at a time. God doesn't ask me to do, oh, no. He says, Mona, this is it. Mona, this decision. Mona, step out here. Mona, don't be quiet. Mona, I need you to give grace. Mona, forgive. Mona, love. He knows his daughter. But do we know him? The challenges before us are not the result of depravity of the wicked, but the indifference of the faithful. Are you getting this? They're saying it everywhere. 
Same as what happened in 1930s is happening to our society because the church is relatively silent today. It is a time to allow the Holy Spirit to peel off the hardened layers and soften our hearts towards the Lord again. It is time for us to be more concerned about repenting than trying to excuse or covering up our sin. It is time for us to fall on our face in humility and say, Oh God, send me, because these people are dying without hope. It is time for us to be more interested in pursuing the things of God than the things of the world. I have been so amazed at so many how you have been making decisions to follow through on our vision, to carry this to the community. I have been so blessed. You know why? Because I have talked to many pastors who have no one who want to take responsibility. That is not my issue here. I have an abundance of people in this, pe in this congregation that have stood up and said, I want to be part of what God is trying to do. I'm going to do it in my home. I'm going to do it in my life. I'm going to do it in this church. I'm going to do it in this community. I will not be left in the boat. Amen. So what kind of faith do we have if we keep silence over the issues of our day? The Bible tells us to speak the truth in love. It is our duty as Christians to step out of our comfort zone and to live out our faith. We are on a mission. We have a mandate, not only with just the addiction center, but with the food bank and, and just touching all of the other associations that God just wants us to be there. But you know one person can't do it. God needs an army, and he's lifting and raising up an army. How do we get there? How did we get where we are as a church? How could God's church have been so caught unprepared? Have you ever asked yourself that? Uh, you know, when we went through the pandemic, have you ever asked yourself why nobody was really going to save the lost? Please tell me, it was not just me. I, I was broken. I, I was agitated. I was so restless during the pandemic. I couldn't understand what it was. There was no way to serve, no way to give out. And yet I heard stories of people who didn't know God, who were just doing the groceries and doing this. And But when, when I actually spoke to the people in the church, they were all afraid for themselves. And I said, no, don't be afraid for yourself. God has your life in his hands. If you're going to die, you're going to die no matter you stay home or not. Ah, we do have a mighty God that has us as he's in control. Pastor Alan Jackson, the author of that book that I was talking about, says the reason we are unprepared, the reason the church is unprepared today is because of the idol of comfort and convenience. Have you ever seen you when you go to obey? You want to make sure that your obedience is very convenient to you. Well, I have to tell you, that's not obedience. That's disobedience. You know, it's amazing how we make excuses and we justify why we shouldn't be obeying. Now, how is that working for you? Because all I know, Scripture says, protection is gone, power is gone, authority is gone, the ability to sense his presence is gone, to hear his voice and to discern and get, have wisdom is gone. Why? Not because God moved out of the way. It's because we persist on walking under a worldview that does does not belong to God. I'm not angry, by the way, just in case. All right? This is a heavy-duty message. I already warned you before, and I'm always coming to an end. I have three more pages, and that's it. 
Yeah, small font. I can barely see it. So because of the idol of comfort and convenience, we choose how we're going to obey God. Oh, I don't know about you, beloved. I want God's presence because it's only in his presence that I get clarity and that I get power to do what he's asking me to do. You see, happiness, when we say happiness is the goal, you see, when we, comf- when we actually only focus on our comfort and convenience when it comes to obedience, it makes us sluggish and ineffective. Isn't that what we see? Sluggish and ineffective. We have failed to understand our part. Dr. Jeremiah says this, people's failures to recognize Jesus' identity and mission is never just a matter of limited information or reasoning skills. Quite often, it's a lack of understanding which reflects a stubborn heart. Ouch. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. So let me finish with the rest of the story. I read it briefly at the beginning, but I'm going to finish with verse 29 to 33 in Matthew 14. Jesus says to Peter, come. Then Peter got down out of of the boat and walked in the water and came towards him. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Is that what we're hearing in our hearts today? Because I heard it over. I said it over and over again. And it says here, immediately Jesus reached out in his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Why? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down immediately. And those who were in the boat worshipped him said, truly, you are the son of God. This was the whole purpose of the storm, beloved, is to help the disciples grow in their faith. Let me ask you, the storms that you have actually passed through in the last several years, have they helped you grow in your faith? Anybody can sit in the boat and watch, but it takes a person of real faith to leave the boat and walk on water. Peter left the security of the boat and wanted to rely solely on Jesus. Peter did not fail that day. The failure were the other disciples who stayed in a boat where they thought they were safe. They failed to experience the joy of walking on water and the hand of Jesus reaching out to them in their time of need. You know, when we stay in the boat, when we're confronted with truth and we don't want to step out, then we fail to experience the joy and the experience of walking on water. The supernatural, beloved. Are you willing to step out and be used mightily by God? Will we speak the truth or will we stay silent? Bonhoeffer said, the church is the conscience of the nations. If our nation is going down, it's because many of us as a church have not walked as we should. We cannot go along with this storm and say nothing anymore. Because that will mean that we're staying in the boat. We cannot be the 12,000 pastors and people who stay quiet. We need to step out and trust Jesus to do the miraculous once again. God is at work around the world 
revealing himself, I am seeing it, beloved, in ways that are extraordinary in the unfolding of the history of this church and other churches around the world. But will we obey the call to step out? And really, truly, it's about living. We may say we believe something and we have faith, but what is your life saying? What's the message? Are they saying, oh, I know what she believes. I love going to the center because a lot of times they usually tell me. It was the first time that I really experienced people saying, oh, I know what she believes. (laughs) And I was happy they knew. They didn't see this anymore. They only saw who I believed in. All I know, whatever God did to me two and a half years ago, and he asked me to repent and to turn away, to step out of my comfort and my convenience, and that he was going to do something amazing in my life. And let me tell you, I am a testimony of what God can do. Am I totally perfect? Don't say anything. (laughs) No, I'm not. But that's the beauty of it. I'm on a journey progressing and letting God work in my life. I know this, that when God starts, he will finish. But now he's calling us out. He's calling us and he's extending the hand. And as we sing this song at the cross, I would suggest that if God has showed you that you were doing one or the other, you were staying quiet and silent and you were actually not reflecting Christ at work, in your home, whatever else. This is not about condemnation. This is about a turnaround. If you were one who negotiated with truth because you thought maybe later I'll be able to tell them the truth, really, truly, beloved, I am not finished preaching on this subject, but I truly believe God is asking us to step up and say, God, this is who I was. I've been doing it for almost two years. This is who I am. I'm coming to you. I've repented, and I keep on repenting, and I keep on getting grace. That is where we are today. You want grace? Then first you have to evaluate honestly where you are. Those four tenets, I believe many of us live in those four tenets, and we shouldn't. Amen. God is raising up an army, and he's calling your name. He's calling your name.